Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield, here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. Yo! We are coming to you from the all-new, bright and shiny Driven Radio Studios. So sexy. So much so that we don't even have anything hanging on the walls. I know, it's it's bare and smooth. And you can hear it. You can hear it ping around in here. I really thought if we had a fully carpeted room that it would mute the sound enough, and I was wrong. Oh, dude, fully carpeted room. Just a side note, and I know we're just starting the show, but when I first started in radio, that's what I worked in. I, I worked in small studios in, in Columbia, Missouri. I was in college. Carpet on with the wall. shag carpeting all the way up, and it was dark orange. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It was like uh, working inside a clown's colon. It, it started out yellow, but things yeah. happened. <laughs> working inside a clown's colon. Oh, you just caught that. <laughs> Thought I slipped that one in no, sideways. <laughs> it is. It was like bozo. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Special time. Good tides. Good yeah, I lost my virginity to the worst song in the world. Wow. Well, it's because Vern's here. This is going to go completely <laughs> off the wheels. We're going to get to Mr. Estes in just a moment, but we haven't done Car World News in quite Ooh, some time. Truth. And we're going to do it this week just because it interests me. <laughs> uh, there is interesting stuff happening in the Corvette world, and I want to talk about it a little bit. Uh, first of all, from Car and Driver, 800 horsepower twin turbo ZR1 and 1,000 horsepower Zora Hybrid could take the C8 Corvette to new heights. When the 8th generation Corvette Stingray debuted, they said it would ultimately go for the throat of Lamborghinis and McLarens. Those whispers will become a reality with the arrival of two ultra-high performance Corvettes, the ZR1 and the Zora. The elements of both cars uh, come from the 2023 Z06 and the upcoming 2024 E-Ray Hybrid. The ZR1 and the Zora will both use the Z06 flat plane crank V8, a white, the wider body, huge tires, and carbon ceramic brakes. Sexy. Yeah, well, all, yeah. The, all the cool stuff from the Z06. Expected as a 2025 model, the ZR1... Uh, 2025? Yeah, that's right. 2025, the ZR1 adds a twin-turbo version of the Z06's 5.5-liter V8. Oh, oh, my God, a twin-turbo V8. Twin-turbo. Twin Not even a V6. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have heard it. It is so stupid. I uh-huh. approve. <laughs> that supposedly belts out over 800 horsepower. Ugh. It will be a rear-drive platform with active aero uh, elements uh, and available Z07-style track package. Zero to 60 times should be around two and a half seconds or less, which is about what the E-Ray does. And I think uh, the Z06 does it in 2.6. So that's that's in the neighborhood of what we were getting with the Z06. Despite an increase in weight of about 200 pounds for the turbos and extra cooling equipment, its performance will put it in contention with the McLaren 750S and the Porsche 911 Turbo S, but with a base price near $150,000, which is much much cheaper yeah. than either of those two will undercut the competitors possibly by hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh uh, the Corvette Zora will be named after its most famous chief engineer, Zora Arcus Duntoff, 
who was pivotal in developing Corvette performance with disc brakes, fuel injection, and an independent rear suspension. The Zora will have the ZR1's mechanicals and the 160-horsepower electric motor from the Corvette E-Ray. The E-Ray's electric power added to the ZR1's engine output means the Zora will be flirting with a 1,000 horsepower and all-wheel drive. So 5.5-liter twin-turbo V8 electric motor driving the front wheels, they say it would... It could possibly weigh about 4,200 pounds. Oh, that's but, a hefty Corvette. But with all-wheel drive, it's expected to go 0 to 60 in 1.9 <laughs> seconds oh and blaze God. through the quarter mile in under 10 seconds at 150 miles an hour. I hope they glue those panels on good. <laughs> Holy shit. Suck all the fluid to the back of your head. <laughs> Zora pricing should start at around $200,000 with power and performance in the hybrid car stratosphere with more expensive hybrid rockets like the forthcoming electrified Lamborghini Aventador replacement and the Ferrari SF90 Stradale, cars that cost more than twice as much. And SF90, I think, starts in the mid-500,000 neighborhood. Or so basically, it's poor man's supercar. Uh, yes, it is. Parked that uh, right out in front of my trailer. Yeah, well, if, if the poor man can swing... <laughs> 200 G's. Yeah, it's throw bills like that. But that's just amazing performance for the money. It's still it really extraordinary is. for the money. And uh, boy, uh, this this and the story you're about to read are why I, I submit to you General Motors will spin Corvette off as its own brand. And I've got good reasoning for this, and we'll talk about it after. All right. Uh, from Car and Driver, the 2025 Corvette SUV will fight the Porsche Cayenne with up to 682 horsepower. I'd buy one. It's an SUV wearing the Corvette name uh, coming for the 2025 model year. A source inside GM says Chevrolet will finally follow other sports car makers by expanding the Corvette sports car brand to encompass a sport utility vehicle. The first Corvette SUV will be powered by a gasoline engine. Yours. And will ride on the same platform that underpins the Cadillac CT4V Blackwing and CT5V Blackwings, which, by the way, I really, really like. They are sharp cars, and that CT5 is a screamer. The CT4 is not bad either, but I really want a CT5V. This means two sizes of SUV could be offered, one compact, one midsize, to better compete with rivals such as the Porsche Macan and Cayenne. Now, the first five-seat Corvette, that's weird. Uh, uh-huh. With ground clearance, cargo space, and serious go-fast performance will likely be an entry-level model in line with Corvette's mission of affordable performance. Pricing may be slightly lower than entry price for the current C8 Corvette's base model, though upper trim levels could reach into the into the Z06 territory. Now, theoretically, a compact-sized Corvette SUV could come with a turbocharged four-cylinder or a twin-turbo V6. That's what I was thinking about Yeah. when you said uh, twin-turbo V8. I'm like, good God, what? <laughs> no, we're going to swing for the fences. Lousy. That's a big engine. While a mid-sized one would no doubt would come with GM's uh, 6.2-liter V8 engine. Supercharged version of that engine could, come, uh, could become a Corvette Z06 SUV with its sights set on more exotic competition, such as the Ferrari. That... Per- Purosang. Purosang? Oh, thank you. See, <laughs> I would have butchered that like a blood. There's, there's a lot of letters there. That's hot. And the Lamborghini Urus. So here's the conversation. It's an ongoing conversation I've been having with Ped Watt. Um, and really, he brought this up, and I think he's absolutely right. The 
the the customer base that the Corvette is chasing now are people who drive Ferraris and Porsches and McLarens and and Lamborghinis and stuff like that, and they expect a certain dealership and service experience that you don't get at a Chevy dealership. Oh, you're uh, not wrong because when you walk in there, you know there's yeah, pickup well, trucks and, and Malibus and yeah, stuff <laughs> Chevy Bolts and stuff like that. Um, so for Corvette to chase those people, they have to offer them something more in line to what they're accustomed to at high-end dealerships. And you don't get that at Chevy dealerships now, no matter how nice the Chevy dealership is. And with the advent of four possible Corvette models and a possible SUV, you're starting to talk about its own line of cars rather than just being something within Chevy's lineup. Well, we were talking earlier uh, before the recording, you know, about Buick and Buick has its own crossover that yeah. it's contemplating dragging to the U.S. It's already making it for China. Yeah. And uh, it's it, I, it pained me to admit that I liked it. Well, it's a it, good it, looking vehicle. But Buick doesn't have cars anymore. They got SUVs and that's it. Yeah. And, you know, but the, they still keep it as a brand. So with Corvette, if they're going to have, you know, this and this. And then that, yeah, you're you're kind of spot on. I really want Buick to make another Grand National. Please make another Grand National. Please, <laughs> please make another Grand National. They're so comfortable, and you, yet they go use, fast. Use that that six point two uh, LT motor with twin turbos on. Oh my God, that thing would be a rocket! And just blood red bl- velour interior. Bring it on. Yeah, no kidding. But I <laughs> I really think that uh, I mean it. It looks like they're gearing up to do this as another brand Corvette unto itself. And then the different models within Corvette Stingray, Z06, ZR1, Zora, and whatever they call the SUV rocket box or whatever they decide (laughs) to call it. If they're going to go the Zora route, you know, it's going to be some ting wow or some, uh, some interesting word that you can't pronounce. Well, nah, just call it the Duntoff. Call it the (laughs) The Duntoff. Yeah, done. Hey, I got a I got a stuffed shark that runs rides around in my Corvette, and his name's Zora Sharkus Duntooth. Oh God! So there you go. All righty, he's been sitting here quietly and patiently. He has been so nice, goofing off on his phone. He hasn't jumped in here at all. I'm a little shocked. Our well special behaved. guest this week is former co-host, Shelby expert, and owner of Vernon Estes Classics. It's Mister Vern Estes. Vern's massive collection of Shelby memorabilia is up for grabs as the 100 Years of Carol Shelby Celebration Sale wow. on Meekum, Meekum Auctions on Time. Vern, welcome back to the mic, brother. What's up, dude? It's good to be back. Been a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. Haven't seen you in a while. We both have new houses. Yes, we Lots very much changed. do. So we're both living out of boxes and wondering where our underwear are. And stuff like <laughs> Headphones, that. all the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, have you, have you seen my my left-handed fingernail clippers with State Bird motto on it? I just can't find those anywhere. Uh, have, have you managed to get most of your house unpacked? Not really, no. Okay. It's, know, uh, there's like three rooms. I know you're live living in. in a house that's got a basement big enough to put in a go-kart track. Yeah, ex- yeah. the basement's as big as half of the building that the cars are in, so it's... <laughs> Complete. There's nothing. I can't do anything with it. You know, there's not. We don't have enough furniture to fill that house up at this point. Well, so kinda... you you have enough junior crumb crunchers living oh, yeah. under your roof because apparently you don't have any other hobbies. That's <laughs> uh, just my favorite one. <laughs> yeah, it's well, not a bad one. Well, will kid you. <laughs> the best thing about kids making them. I remember. Uh, so I think you'll figure out something. I I I 
see a future with lots of big wheels and riding toys and stuff like that. No, oh, yeah, I actually got the uh, the Bronco Roadster at home uh, <laughs> uh, the last week or so, and so that's been kind of fun to to take around the neighborhood, sticking the kids in the back. And, oh yeah, yep. Do they like riding in there? Oh, they love it. Yeah. They think it's fantastic. I drove a, an R model Resto mod home two nights ago, though, and that was less of a hit. Yeah, well, it's probably loud. It's a little, it's uh, it's loud. You could say that. Okay, well, it might be an understatement. We're going to get to that R model here in a little bit. First, I want to ask you about this uh, hundred years of Carol Shelby collection you've got. Uh, tell us a little bit about the collection. How did you find all this stuff, and how long did it take you to put this collection together? Well, I mean, it took, in terms of putting the collection together, I mean, the truth is it's been put together over the course of many years because it's stuff that, you know, when I'm buying and selling Shelby literature and memorabilia, which is kind of how I got started in the business, I have always bought large collections of stuff all at once. I mean, I occasionally buy individual pieces, but also sometimes I buy a hundred things at a time. Oh, so did most of this come from estates? It came from a number of different estates. And so it's it's stuff that I've had, uh, you know, around the office. It's like excess inventory in a lot of ways. A lot of it's like most of it is like entirely fresh to the market. Oh. The, the fun thing about the sales is that there's 395 items listed. It's on the Mecham on time system, which is their online only auction system. Uh, there's a little bit of something for everybody. Every single item, no matter how valuable it is starts at $1 and there's no reserve whatsoever. I was looking so, around at some of those items today. It looked like they started at $1 and went through the freaking roof. Some of them have. Yeah. I mean, there's still over a month left to go and there's still a lot of items that are still sub $10 and you know, there's a little bit of something for everybody depending to, on what you I'll like. I'll have to dig for those sub $10 items. I wasn't finding too many of those. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about, uh, you were, and you and I have discussed this before, some of the more valuable pieces in the collection. Two of the posters you've got in there are potentially $10,000 pieces. Yeah. So like when it comes to Shelby memorabilia, I mean, posters tend to be, obviously they're the easiest item to display. They've got a lot of eyeball to them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, original Shelby posters can vary in value from their original 60s posters that are two or three hundred dollars and there are posters that are five thousand dollars and there are some posters that when they come up for sale they do occasionally go into the five figure range i mean the last one of the wow. basically these two posters are they were printed in 1967 one features a 427 cobra the other one features a shelby mustang from 67 and it says gt350 slash 500 road cars and both of those posters, the 427 Cobra poster was sold in one ad in the back of Car and Driver for a dollar. That's the only time it was ever offered for sale to the public. Oh, no kidding. Oh, my God. The only time. And then the Shelby version of it was absolutely dealer only. It was only sent to dealerships to be framed in the showroom and put on the showroom floor. So, like, when you think about, I'm not sure the exact number of how many Shelby dealers there were in the country, but it was less than 50. And this particular poster and the 427 sister poster, because they look very similar and they were made in the same year. Also, the 427 poster was sent to dealers, so it's still regarded as a dealer-only poster. Both of these posters were found, I found them in a collection, Was they were both rolled up in their original tube in a closet in Southern California, never exposed to sunlight. Were you a little afraid to try and unroll those? I just couldn't believe when I started unrolling what they were. I, I was like, it was one of those rub your eyes moments where you can't believe <laughs> that they, they literally came out of a closet where it was mostly like plastic models that weren't worth 
much money. I'm going through all my Corvette stuff tonight. Dude, how <laughs> so. do you even find these things? How how in the heck did you go, oh, hey, I'm going to go into that that's a, closet? That's a really good question. It's you know, all, all word of mouth. I mean, people just know that I that I am interested in the stuff and that I buy it. And so, I mean, that particular, that particular deal, uh, gosh, to even estimate how many items there were, there were probably over a thousand items that I bought that day. And you bought it all in one shot. All of it. Yeah. It's take it or leave it on all of it. Now, as you went through that collection, aside from the posters, were there other items you found where you were thinking, Oh my God. Oh yeah. There was a, there was a, another dealer only item. It was a six foot long showroom banner. For 67 Shelby's. Really? Yeah. Is that part of the sale? No, too? that one's staying in old. That, that one's, uh, <laughs> that one's staying in old. There are, you know, there are still, I, I buy and sell, but there's a lot of things that I keep for myself. You know? I guarantee so that's hanging in his building. You're darn tootin'. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. There are also some clothing items, jackets, windbreakers. Yep. Two original Shelby American Race Team windbreakers. Yeah, so basically these were given out to the team for rainy days, and they're really, they both, what's funny is I've gotten some questions from people about, oh, you know, they basically say, well, I would bid on those, but they're smalls, and I want to be able to kind of like wear it to a show and impress people. Are you kidding? Yeah, I mean, people like to do that in the Shelby world, but the funny thing is I it's it's misleading because they're smalls for these giant coverall raincoats. They're actually huge. They're way too, I'm six foot and 210 pounds, and they're way too big for me to wear. Really? Yeah, because like they're a small, they're made. They were actually they were actually given to the team to go hey, over I may these. Be in luck here. <laughs> they were they were they were literally given to the team to go over their wool jackets, which were really heavy team oh, yeah. jackets. So like they had to be huge so that they didn't get wet. So when people see small, they think they're like a like a female size, but like they're not. They're they're still huge. You, if you haven't, you should probably do measurements on them so people understand the yeah. the, the what real size. Alrighty. Also, an original 1968 Shelby GT350 500 silk dealer showroom banner. Is that the six foot long one? Well, no, that one is five feet long, but it's vertical, and that's for 68 Shelbys. And it's it's cool because it's oh, like, it's vertical. It's vertical, and it hangs on like a piece of wood, mm-hmm. and from the ceiling or yeah. And so, like Ford issued a lot of those sorts of things for all their normal production cars, and so Shelby kind of copied it and sent one to dealers. That's the only one that I've. I mean, I've. I've bought and sold like thousands of pieces of Shelby memorabilia. So like there are a lot of things that are objectively rare that I've had like 30 to 50 of just because a lot of stuff goes through my hands. Okay. I've never even had a chance to buy one of those. Really? Ever. Like I've got three friends that have them, but they would never sell them ever. Did that come as part of a collection also? That was an individual purchase. Okay. Yeah, that was individual. So on some of the more important, I I still buy a lot of things individually, especially on important things like that. But that came from a thrift store in Pennsylvania. How many Shelby dealers were there through the mid and late 60s? Less than 50, probably less than one per state on average. It it, it varied uh, depending on the year. So early on, there weren't very many. And by the end, there were a lot more. Did most Shelby sales go through dealers or Ford dealerships? Uh, well, they were all also Ford dealerships. Oh, okay. So they were Ford dealerships that also had a franchise. But I mean, so that's the thing about these dealer only pieces. It's hard to like overemphasize is that you got to remember like 1967, they put up these posters on the wall. None of this stuff has any value back then. I mean, the cars are never assumed to become collectible. Well, it's like all that stuff just gets tossed. N- this gets thrown away. N- nobody even knew that there would be a collector car world like there is now. Yeah. Nobody had any idea. That's why... 
What, where were they? Were they coming back from Lamont and Shelby wanted to shove the Daytona coupes off? Yeah, the, the boat? Daytona coupes because he didn't want to pay the tax to bring them back in the U.S. <laughs> he wanted to, he wanted to, Alan. Man, well, it was actually it was technically Shelby was sitting in America and Alan Mann after winning the championship in '65 wanted to ship them back, but he wanted Carol to pay the tax, and so Carol said, "Just push them into the English Channel." Oh God, how much was the tax? <laughs> I have no idea. It couldn't have been that much, I wouldn't think. But, you know, that's why they had to run manufacturer tags on them when they raced them is because that would keep the, the French government from uh, from imposing tax on them. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. You've got a, a, an original 289 Cobra dealer-only showroom poster. Another. Yeah, another dealer-only showroom poster. It's actually pretty small. I mean, it's only about – it's like two and a half feet wide by okay. about a foot tall. So it's like kind of an unusual piece because it's, uh, it's a dealer-only poster, but it's not huge. You would oh. think that dealer-only stuff is usually supposed to be pretty big, but it's a, a fairly rare piece. And again, probably fewer than 50 copies total and no idea how few of those survived. Exactly. I mean, imagine trying to explain to somebody on the showroom floor in 1967 while you're looking at a 67 GT500 that's about a $5,000 car. That one day the poster on the wall would cost two times as much as the car. <laughs> like, think of the insane look you'd get. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine what he'd say, and it's something I don't want to repeat on the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, you also have an original 1965 GT350 owner's manual. Yeah, so that's kind of regarded as like one of the holy grails of Shelby memorabilia collecting, mostly because, you know, it's it's rumored that only about half of the 65 Shelbys, of which they made 524 streetcars, Supposedly only half of those cars ever even got an owner's manual in the first place because the factory didn't print enough. Oh, really? And so, like, you've got half of the cars that even got them. Obviously, nobody cared about owner's manuals back then, so a lot of them have lost them over the years. And uh, today, it's extremely unusual to see a 65 Shelby with an original owner's manual. And so, obviously, 65 Shelbys run the gamut in value from $300,000 to over $600,000, depending on the car. So, like... For owners to kind of separate their car from the next car, that's one of those parts that, I mean, it's a piece of paper technically, so it shouldn't have like, it should, there should be a limit to the value, but they're obviously very rare and very desirable. Well, and again, for the record, how many 65 GT350s were there? Not including, obviously, there are. Yeah, 524 streetcars. 524 streetcars. So, like 250 owner's manuals, probably, that were ever printed in the first place. I've heard lots of stories of guys that bought 65 Shelby's new, no owner's manual in the glove box, so they write to Shelby American, and Shelby American sends them a 66 owner's manual. Really? They didn't have any 65 manuals left over. Wow. So, those are sort of like, you know, it's hard to digest for people, but those are, those are, extremely valuable. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How many R cars were there? Uh, 36. Total. Total. There's a debate between 36 and 37. I tend to be on the the side of 36, but it's probably a discussion. So speaking of those R cars, there are three original Shelby American design department R model related sketches done by Chuck Cantwell. Now, before we jump into that, for the uninitiated, explain the difference between a regular GT350 and a 350R. Uh, so a 350R has what you call a fireproof interior. That's my favorite part, which just means that there's nothing supposedly to catch on fire in there. <laughs> so that was a very interesting way of phrasing that, you know, but it has a... Well, it's all aluminum and... Yeah, so like 350Rs are the race version of the streetcar. So they have full competition engines. They have, obviously, race exhaust. They have different racing wheels. They yeah, have no I, I interior. Can... 
I can attest to the race exhaust having heard one that may or may not have spent time in your shop. Yeah. Yeah, I can attest to it because I drove that car uh, on city streets here in Kansas City for about 100 miles. So You're kidding me. Did yeah. you put earplugs in? Uh, For part of it. When you're dri- when you're driving the Ken Miles R model, you you want to make sure you enjoy it as much. Well, as yeah, possible. you know, four million dollar car. You want to make sure you take in everything <laughs> oh you can. God. It's just an old Mustang. It's just he, an old used Mustang is all it is. He would rev that up, and you could feel it in your chest. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it had a it had a wild, con- and it was and it was the stock specification engine. But the factory R models were different from even the customer cars. People who haven't been racing or haven't hung around a paddock at a race or haven't been to a lot of races don't understand the night and day, hundred eighty degree difference from a streetcar and a true, honest to God, built race car. Yeah. They are not to be taken lightly. They are not for the ham-fisted or the inexperienced. And the thing from the second you fired it up said, I am here to mess stuff up. And if you don't watch your ass, I'm going to mess you up, too. It really is incredible. It is a vicious piece of hardware. Yeah, in this era of like modern supercars, you know, where you can jump in and do race car speed and comfort. People tend to think that those are race cars. And they're, no, not, they're not race cars. No, no, <laughs> no, sir, they are not. All right. Final piece uh, that I wanted to talk or the final the last thing we wanted to talk about in the collection. There's a selection of original Carroll Shelby race entry forms, which are hand signed from the 1950s. And this is pre Shelby Cobra or Shelby yeah. American. This is back when Shelby was still racing for other people. So. Uh, there's one of him with an Oscar 1500. Yep. Uh, there's one of him in a Ferrari 750. Mm-hmm. Monza. Uh, yep. Yeah. There's a talk a little bit about all of those and the fact that they're handwritten. It's Carol Shelby. Everybody knows the signature. Hell, I can mimic Carol's signature pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of stuff combined with like the the Cantwell drawings that like give you goosebumps because they are one of one hand drawn items. I mean, and, these are and pieces of history. Yeah, pieces of history. I mean, there are there one of them in particular is an entry form um, for a race in Texas where Carol Shelby and Ruth Levy were running a Porsche 550 Spider and a Maserati 300S. Oh, really? Yeah, and and for one of the most famous Southern California based race teams at the time, and so like. You have a handwritten letter from the owner of the race team. Mm-hmm. You have the, the cool thing about these driver entry forms is that not only are they signed on the front by the driver, but they're signed on the back also by the driver. And then they have like a full crew that they sign up for pit passes on these entry forms. So oh. like on one of them, on two of them, actually, Carol Shelby lists his wife, Joanne Shelby, his first wife as like one of his like guests at the race. Oh, no kidding. Which, and she signed one of them, I believe like, where else are you going to get her signature? I mean, it's just like items like that. I mean, and those are the items that, that really they're actually sitting in the auction right now, fairly inexpensive, mostly because I think they don't have the kind of eyeball that the posters have. Like you see the posters and they jump off the page. These are the sorts of things that you really have to like see in the auction and like realize that they're and understand what it is. Arguably more significant than the posters. I mean, they are some of the coolest. Uh, they are some of the, John von Neumann was the was the race team owner who, okay. who he was racing for, who raced like a lot of really high end Ferraris. Very, you know, Steve McQueen raced alongside him. So like a handwritten letter from John von Neumann, 
handwritten entry form from Carol Shelby. Ruth Levy was one, like one of the earliest trailblazers for women in racing, racing a 550 Spider. I mean, it's just like, it's wild stuff. And then also what's cool about those entry forms, like this is the time where Carol Shelby's running Carol Shelby Sports Cars in Dallas, which was a retailer of Maseratis, Oscars, Austin Healy's, MG's, all sorts of like mostly English stuff. Um, also Lister Jaguars. Oh, cool. And so like on a lot of these entry forms, Jim Hall signs them too. And I have, there is also entry forms from Jim Hall and that's Jim Hall of Chaparral fame. Cause he yeah. was Carol Shelby's employee at Carol Shelby sports cars in the fifties. Well, Shelby and Jim Hall are the two guys that got together and originally went to Chevrolet yep. and bought three Corvette chassis and had them bodied in, in Italy yep. and, uh, by Scalietti. Yeah. Tour de France bodies basically. And, yeah, and they went to Chevrolet and and said, uh, we would like sponsorship for this. We'd like to start building these these aluminum bodies, super lightweight racers. Mm-hmm. And Chevrolet didn't want any comp- competition for the Corvette, and they said no. And that, if Chevy had said yes there, that changes the face of the sports car world. No, for sure. Period. Oh, absolutely. That's got, that's got uh, implications through time that you wouldn't be able to quantify. You know, there's no Shelby Cobra. There's no Daytona Coupe. There's no Shelby involved in the GT40 program. Uh, that's That's got a lot of implications down the road. There's no Mustang as, as a sports car. There's no likely. Mustang as a sports so. car. It's a secretary's car. Yeah, secretary's car. Uh, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Speaking of secretary's cars, aside from being the world's biggest Shelby memorabilia monger, uh, you also are the owner of Vernon Estes Classics, and you mm-hmm. specialize in Shelby's and rare Fords and Broncos and some of the cool stuff you let me drive every once in a while, which is fun. Tell us a little bit about the stuff you've got on sale. Boy, there's a couple cars. If well, people follow got- the website, like there's never anything listed on the website. You have to call. Yeah, nothing. I'm a one man show and I don't have. Well, you've got two that are coming up on bring a trailer. Yeah. So there's a uh, there's a 67 GT 500 four speed white with blue stripes. Be a really interesting car. That'll probably be two or three weeks from the recording of this podcast. The, okay. the car that's coming sooner than that is something that it's frankly not my usual thing. It's not the usual thing that I get really excited about. Yeah. And we were talking about this last night. So explain the car. I, I know what the car is supposed to look like. So it's it looks like a 65 GT350R. In fact, I was going to drive it here today, and then I realized if I did that, I wouldn't have any car to drive the uh, the babies to school tomorrow with. I was going to drive it, and then I realized I shouldn't have done that. But uh, it, you know, nothing against GT350 replicas because there's lots of very tasteful 350 replicas, but there's a lot of them out there, right? So like when people start talking about a car that looks like a GT350 and it's kind of modified or kind of built to look like one, I feel like a lot of people start kind of losing interest well, pretty quick. A lot of people are probably probably don't know what to look for yeah. on a GT350 to tell whether or not it's the real deal. I mean, this one, you would know it's not the real deal from the second you look at it simply because every single aspect of it, I mean, it has been, it's not a replica. It's, it's more of like a resto mod type of build. So okay. this car has absolutely everything on the menu thrown at it. The owner of this car bought it as a painted shell that had already had all of its body work done. And so not counting body and paint, which he did not do. Okay. There are, it's he. It was done when he got it. it the was, rest of the car, though. The rest of the car was not done. It has 1,346 billable hours on the car. <laughs> so Jesus. plus the parts, 
plus body and paint usually takes up most of the hours. You know, there's just over 2,000 work hours in a year. (laughs) This car has a 351 dart block that has been punched out to 429 cubic inches. It has, obviously, aluminum heads. The dart block's all aluminum, so it's an all-aluminum engine. It has a T56 Tremec 6-speed. The car, the scary, it has hydro-boosted brakes. Okay. And I'm not used to driving a lot of this kind of stuff. It's got huge brakes on it because it's got bigger wheels that are very tasteful. They look like our model wheels. They're just, I think they're 20-inch wheels. Okay. The car is mind-blowingly fast. Is it? Way faster than I have. I've only driven the car twice so far. Do you know I've, what power output is, or do you have a good idea butt dyno-wise? Uh, it's like well into the mid-fives. Like real man horsepower, not like not like modern-day air conditioning blowing kind of horsepower. Like it's a... <laughs> Like, it's a lot of car. Like mean and throbbing and all that good yeah. stuff. And so the crazier thing is, though, because the speed is one thing. And, like, I'm going to get scared before I dip all the way down on the throttle and something like that. Right. And I'm not that I know I'm not that good a driver for something like that. So I know I'm not going to go as fast as that car can possibly go. But the you crazier. The, yeah. The crazier thing, though, is that you're 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 blowing down the highway. And in your mind, you're in a 65 Mustang. So whenever you need to hit the brakes, you think you're hitting Kelsey Hayes front disc and drums in the back, and you're not doing that. So you even breathe on the brakes, and it wants to throw you through the windshield. It is insane how good the brakes are. Like It's hard for a guy like me that does nothing but drive old cars. It's difficult to get used to. I mean, they're incredible brakes, but that's like really one of the most impressive things. The most impressive thing about the car, though, is like, the first night I drove it home, I had to go to Price Chopper, which is hilarious. Like I had to pick up groceries on the way home, and I'm in a <laughs> I'm in a resto mod that is just a wildly <laughs> freshly built car. And so I decided to go I sixty nine to hundred thirty fifth Street, as opposed to usually just cutting over four thirty five mm-hmm. and getting to where I need to go. So the one day I do that, there is a backup on I sixty nine South. 45 minutes of standstill traffic. <laughs> no. 45 minutes. I'm thinking the whole time it had just rained the day before, so the street was dry, but the little turnarounds in the middle of the highway were wet, so there's no way I was going to run that car through those puddles, let alone it's too low to probably go in the middle anyway. So, okay. So I, I come to a stop, and I'm thinking, do I just turn the car off and sit on the side of the highway for an hour and a half? Because... Like a car that's built that wildly, I'm thinking, who knows how cool and this thing's going to run? In a '65 Corvette, you do. Yeah, it had a manual. Yeah. It had a manual electric fan and a thermostat activated one, so I immediately click on the uh, the manually operated fan, and it started running too cool. Really? Oh, well, it like started running cold, so I had to turn it off. <laughs> I mean, my leg is still tired. It's wow, not even that bad a clutch. That's but it's really impressive. Minutes. Oh, it's a it's wild how well built the car is. It's incredible. After having old Corvettes and that old Impala with a 409, yeah, that is that is really impressive. Again, I'm in a 65 Mustang, so I'm thinking we're about to have boiling over radiators. Oh, and, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's just an incredibly built. We're interested to see what it goes for because, I mean, me and the owner have both agreed that we really don't know what that car will bring. It's going to be no reserve, and it's extremely high quality, and it'll be fun to watch because you just don't see Mustangs that are built to when, that level. When is that going to go? Uh, it was approved today on bring a trailer. And so I would anticipate probably in the next two weeks. Okay. So, so still got to do photographs from the and time and all that. when the show posts probably within a week. Yeah. 
Alrighty, you also have a black and gold Hertz GT350H car. Yeah, that's a car that I bought out of Colorado like five years ago and uh, sold it to its last owner. He came in and traded it on a 67 GT500 four-speed air car. Okay. So that's back. I've got a 65 GT350 street car, um, 67 GT350 four-speed with a with an owner-added Paxton supercharger on it. Uh, Does that, do those Paxton superchargers make a big difference on those? They do make a big difference where people get in trouble is that they think that more is always better in the sense that like what somebody will do is they'll build a hot motor and then they'll put a Paxton on a hot motor. Paxton's do better with either a totally stock hypo or lower compression than a typical hypo. Yeah. Uh, superchargers and turbos better with a little bit less compression. Here's the other problem with Paxton's. And this came straight from the horse's mouth, the horse being Craig Conley in San Marcos, California. He's like the Paxton guru. He bought all of McCulloch's old like stock and is he's the guy that rebuilds all of them. Okay. You know, like people nowadays when they're driving around in vintage Shelby's, like we've got this collector mindset now, right? So you don't like zing it out on RPM a whole lot, or at least a lot of owners don't. And so, like, they go really easy on the cars, and they're shifting at, like, 4,000 RPM, and they're not really driving the cars like a hypo is supposed to be driven. Like, those engines want to be above 4,000 RPM, and they want to be into the fives a lot of the time. Okay. That's where, like, you get all the power on those engines. And so, you know, at the same time, a Paxton supercharger, it's only, like, six pounds of boost, and it runs off the belt on the engine. So, like... It only produces that boost at high RPM. Yeah, so it's got to be spun up. Yeah, so like a lot of these guys that put Paxons on their cars, they 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 might say like, "Oh, it's not doing anything." Well, it's not doing anything because you're below four thousand RPM. The whole time, okay, you know, but but when you when you hit four thousand RPM or thirty five hundred with a Paxton, the tack needle just sweeps like it hits quick over and over and over again. It, it definitely works. It gives about seventy to hundred extra horsepower. I want to find out for myself. You've got a seventy four Bronco Ranger. Yeah, all original paint, lifetime California truck. All original paint. All original paint. What color? Uh brown metallic, brown sequoia metallic, which okay. is like it's a funny color cuz when you see it in photographs it may not be the most like desirable color if you don't realize how much metallic it has, but like it just I'm getting weird looks now. What what did I just say? No, it's brown metallic. <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering does it have the that kind of tan and yellowish stripe no, along I with just, the orange I want to know so if it looks like the, the burnt sienna stripe. crayon. Well, it's got the white rocker stripe and then like an orange pinstripe on it. It's oh, it's very 70s. It's got a brown yeah. brown, brown over You're brown. Ready to drag out your disco that ball. That is the sexiest turd I'd ever drive. <laughs> The thing about those cars, too, is that, again, people hear brown and they think it's really unattractive. But, like, number one, in the 70s, that was pretty cool. And number two, when the sunlight hits a metallic brown, it's (laughs) decidedly number two. It's metallic, baby. (laughs) Looks like you ate a glitter cake the night before. (laughs) You've got a a little 65K code coupe. Yeah, so that that was another car that uh, that recently came out of Southern California, just an early uh, early, uh, 65 four-speed coupe early enough that it's a drum brake all-around car on a K-Code. No kidding. Yeah, they work great. People give uh, people give drum brakes a lot of grief, but when they're when they're set up right, they actually work pretty good. Uh, but on Mustangs, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had a drum brake Corvette for 35 years, and I've said this a bunch of times, and I was reminded of it today. <laughs> Could have killed this jackass. That's why they finished uh, second in B production. That's I, just the way it goes. I got to tell you, man, a panic stop in that Corvette will make you change your thoughts on religion. Oh, yeah. yeah. Heavy on the panic. <laughs> <laughs> oh! uh, all right. And finally... A grabber green over white super cobra jet 
70 GT500. Yeah, that car sold today. So Did it really? Yeah, it's going to a local guy. So that's kind of cool. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that car is an interesting car, too, because the first time I've owned that car twice, and the first time I bought it, the guy who sold it to me was not real specific about anything on it, frankly. So it shows up at my building, and it has a binder in the passenger seat of documentation, which I didn't know was coming with it. And so I opened this binder. And the first address I see is 4941 Hadley Street. In town? Yeah. Here? Yeah, I'm thinking the that. At first, I'm like tired. I remember being really tired. I was reading that side. My first thought was, why does that address look so familiar? That's weird. And I realized, oh, that's the building you're sitting in. That's your building that you own. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked more. It was a title. And the guy who had sold the guy in Canada the car was the guy that I bought the building from who I met because he collected Super Cobra Jet Shelby's. So he no sold the guy kidding. in Canada. I bought it from the guy in Canada and had no idea that it was his old car. Oh wow! Wow! Think of the think of the chances of that. Absolute boomerang came back home. And and what was interesting about that too is when I told that past owner that I had bought his car back later that day, he's like, "Wow, that's really cool. I love that car. I never wanted to sell it. Why'd you sell Ooh. it?" And I was like, "Well, why'd you sell it? That's what I said. I said, "Why'd you sell it?" And he said, "Well, the offer I got on it was so good I couldn't say no." And that was and you. I said and I said really. And he and he was like, yeah. He was like, in fact, what did you pay for it? Because like, there's no way you paid enough money to get that car back out of Canada. And I said, why do you say that? And it was basically because back when he sold the car, the Canadian dollar was so much stronger than the U.S. dollar mm-hmm. that he got a price for the car in U.S. dollars that even today, 15 years later, you could never get. Wow. And then things changed between then and now so much that I then bought it back for what was a very reasonable price, but in Canadian dollars, it was a lot of money to that guy. Okay. So it's just like one of these weird deals. The yeah. fact that that came back to your building, yeah. but a different, a different buyer, that's incredible stuff. And you sold it to somebody locally. Yeah, local local buyer and a new friend. So he's a, he's a young guy too, so it'll be cool to see it. Uh, doing Super Cobra Jet, uh, that thing would be Cool. Super Cobra Jet Grabber Green White Interior Seventy Four Gear. So, like, it, as far as Ford muscle cars, that's as good as it gets if the top doesn't come down. That's very cool. We've been speaking with Vern Estes of Vernon Estes Classics about the hundred years of Carroll Shelby celebration sale on Meekum Auctions on Time, and also about all the cool stuff you can find at Vernon Estes Classics. Take a minute and tell us where we can find you online, social media, any place else. You know, social media, I'm just an old man trapped in a young man's body. So social media, I don't it even ain't have that a young. face. I, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, I don't even have a business page. It's just my own personal page, Vernon Estes on Facebook, Vernon Estes on, uh, on Instagram. Website is www.vernonestesclassics.com. So. And. Meekum Auctions on time. Is it just Meekum Auctions on time? On time.meekum.com. Okay. So registration is free. And like I said, bidding starts at a dollar, all no reserve. Now I have to go through there and uh, look at all the cool stuff you've got. See if I can find anything that's cheap enough for me to own. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Bid on the expensive stuff, Brett. You need this 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 new podcast uh, studio needs a couple showroom banners. Yeah, well, I think. you see this new house that's sitting in. That's where all my money went. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't be got none left. Thanks for coming back in the studio. Thanks for having it's me. good it's been to fun. see you. It's yep. been too long, and uh, good luck with all the sales. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, or on LinkedIn at Driven Radio Show Podcast. You can also listen anywhere, find podcasts, or heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves. Yo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Thank you.